and we're live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special edition of Solo TV 84. I'm your gracious host, Solomon Jones. Now, the person next to me, you may have already seen him on Fox News, Rush Limbaugh, Laura Ingram, Joe Rogan. Yeah, he, dude, we definitely gonna talk about that Joe Rogan interview. Facts. Uh, you know, you've seen him with 50 Cent, Carmelo Anthony. Uh, he's done, you know, over 20 startups. Uh, as well as consolidative work for other people on the low. Uh, Hotep Jesus, everybody. Hotep, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Great, great pleasure to be here talking to you tonight, man. Hey, that's what's up. Hey, Hotep, to the people that may not know you, I mean, I, I think I, I, I gave a pretty decent intro about some of yes. the things, but tell the people what else you do that I didn't mention. I mean, you're an author as well. Uh, tell the people what else you do, fam. Uh, I, I, I'm a rebel. I... I... I find ways to disrupt conversations and in industries to force people to think differently or to question the norm or to question the mainstream. Uh, in many ways, I can be seen as a philosopher, thought to think, uh, a, a thought leader. Some people might say free thinker. I don't know what those words are these days, but um, I like to take some of my skills, uh, such as marketing, which is my professional background, and use my superpowers for the good of all mankind, right? So I have these, like, one of my superpowers is reading people, reading people uh, is, my, is my superpower, their body language, um, their speech, um, and several other factors. And then using that to, to, to create peace uh, between people. Um, so yeah, um, you know, some of my innate powers, some of my learned powers, like digital marketing, social media prowess, all that stuff. Um, I've been in tech, you know, my whole life, uh, you know, going back to like the 80s when we had a Commodore 64, you know, I was living in North. We had we had a Commodore 64. We had a PC. We had CD burners when they first came out. We had TVs in the car when they first came out. You know, I just always been on cusp of technology and just being right there when AOL first hit. You know, I built my first website in like 1996 or something like that or 97. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, I taught myself HTML. My dad went to Barnes and Noble, got me an HTML book, and you know, so um, you know, I've been in tech my whole life. I didn't like the technical side of things, like coding and so so forth. My brother was a coder, so you know, I, I prefer to be in the people business, talking to people and 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 you know, uh, managing communities and and uh, figuring out how how to bring people together. Uh, that always intrigued me more was how to bring people together, right? That's right. something I just always loved. And, you know, today with Hotep Nation, I finally am able to use that power um, and bring a lot of people together under this name, Hotep. And also you have a clothing brand. I forgot that, man. Brother, what don't you do? Do you sell toothpaste? <laughs> Not yet. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a great sister on the internet that uh, her name is Me Naturals. Right. And um, she... She doesn't even call it toothpaste. She calls it teeth paste because tooth would be one tooth. So she calls right. it teeth paste, you know, to be kind of funny. But uh, I, I like to not compete with people I know, but she has a great toothpaste out there. Uh, so if somebody is interested in some teeth paste, check out Me Naturals. Okay, dope, dope. Yeah. Now, Hotep, a lot of people, um, I mean, they know the, the story of uh, your name, right? The origin story, but we can talk about that. But one of the things that I like... Uh, that you've mentioned before. <laughs> you know, there's a great sister on the internet that uh, her name is Me Naturals, right. and um, she wait, wait. she doesn't even call it. Is that, is that, that me or me? that's you? You got to turn to YouTube. Hold on, one, one second, one second. Wait, where's this coming from? But uh, I, I, I like to not compete with me. Okay, all right. I thought I was going crazy for a second. <laughs> so, so, so like I was saying, um, you know, and, I, and shout out to Donovan Sharp because I I saw you in Donovan's interview, and then also. Like I said, we're going to talk about some of your classics because that Joe Rogan, boy, you triggered a lot of people. We're going to talk about that. But uh, before we do, uh, I've heard you mention that you were tired of being a victim, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you were tired of being a victim and you were looking for some way to be successful or some way to pursue your purpose. Um, when when you mentioned victim, right, you were what did you mean a victim as an being a, a loser in a sense or a victim as in, oh, I'm a, just a black man and nobody's cutting me a break. Like what, what do you mean when you use the word victim? Yeah. I like, I like that you use the word loser 
Cause yeah. that's that's pretty much what it is. Like Scott Adams says, loser think, right? Like you think like a loser instead of thinking like a winner. So I always go back to my my own personal situation when things were looking bleak for my future. And then uh, there was a turning point where I said, any and everything around me that is not as I would like it to be is my fault. And I put it there. So if anybody's going to remove it and make my situation better, then it has to be me. So I, I carried that take on to the macro level and say, well, if a group of people are dealing with problems, then the people who have created those problems obviously aren't going to solve them because uh, they created them for a reason. So it would be the onus would be on the people that are the victim of these problems to come up with some solutions and figure out how to get out of this. So it, it, that's that's more of a thinker mentality where you say everything is my fault. And that's why I teach my kids, you know, no matter what happens to you anywhere in life, it's your fault. You, you know, you, there are things you could have done to uh, mitigate those risks. Um, and once you have that mentality, it gives you all the power. You know, when you say something is somebody else's fault, then they must have power over you. That's their power to push their will on you. But if they do something to you and say that was my fault, well, you keep the power. And, 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 and I like power and I like having my own power and I like being sovereign and I like just saying uh, I'm responsible for my future. And when I took that attitude on, everything in my life changed and it was just an upward trajectory from there. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I do is, you know, I talk about a lot about self-improvement here because we live in an era now where, you know, masculinity is being attacked, right? Now they have toxic masculinity and all these terms to, to shame men and yeah, this is not a politically correct channel either, brother. So, you know, we already know. But when I look at it and and, and whatnot, I do see that now in, in modern times, when you look at the sexual dynamics or the social dynamics in regards to dating, marriage and whatnot, it's messed up. Obviously, obviously, we're dealing with the whole beer flu situation. But even before that, right, you had the Me Too situation. And it just seems like, OK, we're going to blame everything on men and women are going to be the victims here, right? And it's come to the point then, these same women who are complaining about, oh, no, we don't want men to approach us, for example, with Me Too, right? Then they were complaining in the workplace that, oh, well, men aren't talking to us anymore. Yeah, well, yeah, because we don't want to lose our jobs, you know? So I, I think that now we, we, we're in a, in a space, especially with when we talk about Red Pill, where men are seeing what's going on and, and they're tired of it, and we're speaking out against it. Um, do you think, Hotep, when I talk about this, attack on masculinity is that a, a reach and from what you've gathered why do you think they are attacking masculinity uh so uh again that's something i would put on men i would say that's our fault that the world exists as it is today um obviously our masculinity has failed us if masculinity is under attack now us masculinity is going to be under attack because we are the protectors of the family or the protectors of the community and the nation and in the world at large, the greater world. So that's why they want to get us out the paint. They want to get alphas and masculine men out of the paint. So um, the state can come in and play father and uh, play husband uh, to the spouse so that everyone worships the state. This is uh, the end goal of socialism, which is communism. And I say um, men have to do a better job being men um, and then that will that will that will thwart this problem, um, but you know I wouldn't I wouldn't complain about how women are acting at these places. I think they should be completely and wholly ignored. You know when they when they play these silly games, um, you know um, the several the several like when I said that my brain went like three different ways, and and now I'm like sorting like okay which stream of consciousness do I go down right? <laughs> because it's like. Is like one stream of consciousness is telling me they shouldn't be in the workplace anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like we've we we failed as men that women can't stay home and take care of the babies, right? So, and and there was a lot of propaganda that came down the pike that convinced women that they should be in the workplace and they're proud of themselves in the workplace. Um, and, you know, I, there's a, you know, we're in a modern world, so I don't think that women should, you know, if they want to work, I think they should definitely want to work. But I think there's a lot of propaganda put in place that 
that that pushed women into the workplace, such as Edward Bernays convincing women they should smoke cigarettes, right, with his campaign ad. Um, but yeah, I just blame us, man. I just say, you know, we got to do better. We got to set a better example of what masculinity is, because if we feed into it, that's basically feminine energy. If we feed into this attack on us, it's that's that's just very feminine to complain about these problems, right? It's one thing to highlight them, but we have to also be ready to uh, provide those solutions. And I think that's just about uh, mm. demonstrating what it's like to be a man. So people who don't have good masculinity in their lives see us examples like we are right now on the, on the YouTubes, right? So they can see us and see how we think and operate in this world and they can mimic that. And then also it's the kids, right? They, they can see and they can mimic uh, in case they don't have uh, a masculine um, body or person in their lives. Um, but it's about how we operate. It's about what we create and how we insulate ourselves from this propaganda machine. And I think, I don't think we, I think we've uh, um, gotten so comfortable on Sundays watching football that we didn't pay attention to some of these things when we had the warning signs early on. I mean, Naley Fuller was teaching this in the seventies. Dr. Cress Wilson was teaching this in the eighties. So, you know, when I read the ISIS papers, you know, in, in, in I think it was maybe nineties, I read the nicest ISIS papers. And so I was hip to the, you know, eventually in the future, men would be wearing dresses, right? Like that was in the nineties. I was studying this. So when it, when this stuff manifests now and people are talking about it, I'm kind of jaded and bored of the topic. I'm like, yo, we was telling y'all about this like 10 years ago and y'all told us we was crazy. And I was here. And it's just like, I'm thinking crypto and AI. I'm not even thinking about this topic anymore. Cause right. it, like we saw it coming. Right. And, 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 and that's the problem. We spent too much time us men in leisure and not in fixing the world around us to where now we are victims of the world around us. So we have to take that power back. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with you on that. I think that one of the things that I try to preach and I always talk about is I have a, a, a series called Don't Be Bitter, Be Better. Yeah. And in that series, you know, we we're up to like five or six parts now. And I just talk about how we as men, you know, if you want, it's like Gandhi said, man, you know, you know, be the change in the world you want to see. The world isn't going to change because you close your eyes and then you open it up and it, it's going to change. You know, you got to have a plan. Mm. And I think that a lot of men, we've become complacent in, in having this victim. You know what I mean? Unless there's going to be something done. And when I say something done, I'm talking about for you individually. You know what I mean? Because when I hear you, um, you always mentioned that you you kind of before you blew up, you went through like a spiritual rebirth of sorts. Right. Yeah. And where you went to like a Zen type state. Mm -hmm. And I guess. And by the way, I'm sorry, I forgot I had the Becky in the background. <laughs> nah, she good. Let her stay right there. Let her she, stay right there. Uh, she's actually Asian. Um, but yeah. let me ask you this. When you went through that, I don't know what you call it, if you call it a spiritual rebirth or a spiritual awakening. Right. I like that. I use that word. Um were you looking for answers like spiritually as well? Or how did you get to that point? Because I feel like, like, for example, and I'm not trying to keep talking because I know I'm long winded, but I kind of went through my own little spiritual reawakening and it happened because of no fap and semen retention of all things. Mm -hmm. Like imagine not clapping cheeks made me more spiritually in tune and, and aware of my surroundings and aware of my thought process that I never even thought it's crazy, but what, what, how did you go through your spiritual growth or rebirth? I guess. Yeah, I love that you talked about no fat because the building of discipline is the foundation of spirituality. You know, that discipline to um, deny yourself these desires, right? And some desires are healthy and some desires are not. And I think we have to identify what's an unhealthy desire and what's a healthy desire. And sometimes we have to deny ourselves some of these unhealthy desires. I mean, it's good to have them sometimes, but sometimes we have to have that ability to say, no, I don't need that. You know, what I need is, you know, a set of pushups or something like that, right? Or a glass of water. You know, that's that discipline that you really start to connect with your inner self. But um, I like you said rebirth. I, I like that that word spiritual rebirth because that's exactly what it was. I was becoming a new a new me. Um, but yeah, I was looking for answers, and I started studying, and I started diving into a lot of different subjects and um, spiritual pathways and information and esoterics and symbolism and 
meditation and breathing and visualization. And, uh, you know, it came at a point in my life where I had ascended physically. You know, the 50 cent thing happened. So my, my, my material life was 10 times better. But my soul was dying. You know, it was like, you know, like a lot of people go into the hip hop industry and then they say like afterwards they leave and they become Christian and Muslim and whatnot. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, that's what happened to me. Like, it was just so grimy and so fake. It disgusted me. So like, it, it really just had me feeling like very alone. I felt very, very alone uh, when I'd go into these spaces and I just, I would see like, snakes all around me and horns right uh you know symbolically obviously not physically like i literally didn't see them but i just felt like i was just in a space where i just you know people couldn't be trusted i'm like with fake friends frenemies yeah just everybody was just really fake you know it's like everybody's just talking to me because i was the guy that was the marketing director for a 50 cent brand right and just like like a year ago nobody even paid me any attention you know in this space you know i had my own like fan base in jersey but like in new york I remember I remember talking to this one radio show and we were like, hey, I'm a, I'm a starving artist out here. You know what I mean? And, you know, I want to get on your radio show. And it was I think it was called Bad Girl Radio or something like that at the time. And they like completely like egged me. Then I got the job with 50 and they hit me up for a sponsorship. And it was just like, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you denied me a year ago. Now you see the come up and now you want to hop back on. It's just like it don't work like that, you know, but. I don't know. Um, and then also, like, I hated white people. I had this, like, disdain for white people. But in working with 50, I met a lot of really dope white people. And, um, like, Kathy Delaney, you know, this older white woman. She was probably, like, in her 60s. And I just really fell in love with her as, as a person. She was my boss. She's C-level exec. And her, her energy and her vibe was just so beautiful. And um, I just enjoyed being around her. And Alix, another older white woman. And I was just falling in love with these like older white women who just carried themselves a certain way. But even though I didn't have that formal, you know, Ivy League training like everybody else in the office, they gave me the most respect because I had that real life experience. My disdain for whites, I found out, was hurting me. So I had to like release that. So the more I got into spirituality, the more I realized that in order to ascend, you got to fill your body with love. And learn how to love people. And it brought me back to like, that's what Jesus teaches, right? You know, it's like, forgive thy enemy, you know, and 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 and, and present yourself with love. And what I realizes in doing that, it wasn't even about them. It was more about like replenishing myself. And I felt powerful and I felt free. And I felt, I felt light. And I'm like, wow, I don't hate white people anymore. And then here we are, you fast forward and I'm working with them and side by side and white people are hoteps, which is something that would be unthought of. Like if you would have said, yo, you're going to lead a movement for black people with white people, I'd have been like, yo, you're crazy. That doesn't even make any sense. A pro-black movement with white folks that's genuine, not like Black Lives Matter, genuine for the people, grassroots, organic, you know, but it's happening. Right. And it's because. You know, some people like 50 Cent, I was at dinner one time, he called me a genius. And it's a lot of people like, oh, you're a genius, you're a genius. And I was thinking about that thought today because somebody else called me a genius. And I was like, I don't think I'm a genius. What I think I am is a reincarnated ascended master. Uh, Whoever I was in my past life had really understood this earth um, because I think I have a very unfair advantage over others of how well I'm able to see and understand this earth in our times and people. Um, So I don't know if it's, it's definitely not, there is some intellectual aspect to it all, but I think my superpower is my connection to my soul. Mm. You know, it's man, you just said so much that I want to unpack. I know. <laughs> um, I, one thing, you know, because like I said, I mean, you know, I saw you on Donovan's channel recently, salute him. And then, of course, I'm also a co-host of formerly as the seven, now the six, right? And it's it's like just listening to you, like your, your vibe. Like, you know, when, when I do interviews, I'm like, if you can see me, like I'm, I got like five screens. I'm trying to multitask because it's, it's a one man show. I'm yeah. trying to multitask all at once. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pay attention. So it's yeah. like I'm all over the place. Right? But just listening to you, like you're very present in the moment. And I can tell like mm. when you talk, you really think about what you're about to say. Like I'm the yeah. type of dude, I'll say something crazy. 
And then cats in the chat be like, yo, solo, pause, pause, pause. Yeah. Like, then I gotta bring it back. You know what I mean? But yeah, like I can just tell, like, you're very aware. And I think that's the first thing about I, I don't want to use the word woke, but being present yes. is being in the moment. Because a lot yes. of people are either thinking ahead or they're thinking in the past, but they're mm. never in the moment, realizing yeah. that the most important time is right now, not to sound cliche, but it's true. And if yeah. you're letting something from your past occupy you constantly, then you're giving energy to something that already happened. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, I, I read this book years ago called, uh, I think, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. And uh, it's a pretty decent read. In hindsight, it's probably too basic for me now. Um, and I would reword a lot of what he said. But I think for somebody who just wants to get into it, it's a great, fabulous read. I think it leaves off a lot, though, to be desired, but monumental in transforming me and my paying attention to the present moment. Um, I mean, it's probably I would suggest I would suggest it as a must read for anybody who doesn't understand the idea of being in the present moment. But you're right. I, I used to be that guy who would talk and think about it later. And it got me into a lot of trouble. So, um, you know, learning how to have presence and 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 when you're asking me questions like being in the moment and absorbing everything you're saying and then and 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 then opening my mind to receive thoughts right from from the outer verse so that I'm not thinking I'm I'm just opening up a channel that communicates with my intellectual mind and then my intellectual mind tells me how to communicate those thoughts that's dope you know that's dope one of the things that I like is in your story about how you met 50 Cent, right? Because, you know, I, I did my research on your dog, like I always do, <laughs> right? Yeah, we, we did the research. Um, but you mentioned that you weren't even a G-Unit fan, but you used to have the 50 Cent poster up in your room, like a one a big poster. And then yeah. that went from seeing that poster. Now you're not just meeting 50 on the bus, but, you you know, you're working with 50, as or, you yeah. know, and whatnot. Um yeah. Visualization. That's the, that's the that's the power of visualization, and and yeah. I understood that at the time. I saw the poster, and um, my roommates at the time they were like, "Oh, that's gay! You got a man on your door!" Da 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 da. And I don't think they got it, but it was a G Unit poster, and they had stacks of money on their desk. And like I said, I wasn't a G Unit fan, but I could appreciate um, Fifty Cent's rise to the top that happened so quickly, but yet so organically. And some of the chess moves he played with Ja Rule, I just really appreciated that art of war and that 48 laws of power he brought to the table. So I was appreciating it. And I bought that post and I said, I'm going to use this to visualize my dreams. I didn't realize I was manifesting working with 50 cent. I was just worried about the stacks of paper on the desk and the, and the guns. Like I enjoy guns. So they had guns and stacks of paper. And I'm like, that's what it's all about. Guns and butter right there. So I put that on my on my uh, door and then um, I did a couple of things. I remember when 50 Cent released his book, The 50th Law, uh, the day of the release, I drove to uh, Barnes and Noble. I picked up a copy. Um, I took a picture and wrote a blog about it. And then that hit his website and I was featured on the front page of his website. So I was like I ran a blog at the time. We were doing millions of hits. I had a staff of seven people. And so I was I knew how to like hijack social media and being on the pulse and knowing that you got to move fast. Like when you get these ideas, you got to act on them. If they're ideas you can act on right away, you got to act on them cuz these ideas are gifts from God. And when you procrastinate, you actually take it out of sequence of your destiny. So if the if the idea comes and it's something you can act on, and if you delay like an hour, you move it out of sequence of your destiny to where you are now going down a different pathway of your destiny when this one could have led to a whole bunch of different events. For example, yesterday I was reading um, some 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 anarchy uh, work and my mind told me uh, my intuition told me check the Clubhouse app for some interesting conversations. So I'm on the computer. I'm reading the book um, and then I hop into the uh, voice chat app and then. They're talking about Dr. Sabi. I think I got a notification that said Dr. Sabi. So I was like, let me hop in his chat. And I hopped in the chat and the brother brought up Lupe Fiasco. And he said Lupe Fiasco would, would definitely debate on this vaccine topic. So I went to the Twitter and I and I and I tweeted to him and I said, Hey, would you be open to debate? And he said, and then today he replied, Yes. So I'll be debating Lupe Fiasco on my channel Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. But had I had I ignored that intuitive thought. Because the logical mind would say, no, I'm reading right now. 
right? Um, why would I, why would I stop reading this material and go waste time, right? Because the intellectual mind would tell you being on this app talking to complete strangers might be a waste of time. But Willow, Willow Smith said something very interesting. Um, very at a very young age when they had their misfits, I used to watch their misfits uh, gatherings. And she said, I could be anywhere. I could be over there, but I'm not over there. I'm right here. And everything else doesn't matter. The fact that I'm right here right now speaking in this moment is what matters. Not the fact that I'm across the street, but I'm right here right now. And that's important. I mean, I could be doing a million things, but I'm not. I'm doing this right now. And it, and it got me thinking about prioritization. Sometimes we like to prioritize too much. I think prioritizing is important, but sometimes we prioritize too much and, and, and think that things that are wasting our time are actually good. Conferencing with other people is actually good and it's not wasting time. But again, the point, of my, the point I'm trying to make is the thought to check Clubhouse was definitely m- more intuitive than it was intellectual because had I listened to my intellectual mind, I'd still be reading that book and I won't have a debate scheduled with Lupe Fiasco on Wednesday. And instead, I listened to my intuition. So the same thing happened with the 50 cent thing. Um, they announced, I saw it came down a wire that he had an energy drink. So I was the first publication to cover the energy drink, tagged him and everything. So I got invited to the launch of that, the bus launch. And I remember barely being able to afford to get there. But I, yeah, but I got there, um, got on the bus. I remember trying to sit up front and then the security moved me to the back. He said, now nah, this was 50 going to sit. And I said, all right, I moved to the back. So I moved to the back. 50 gets on the bus. The bus pulls off and it's just like eerily quiet in New York City, though. So we hear the city, but the bus just everybody's like stiff. Right. Because I guess 50 is on the bus now. So everybody's like nervous. But I'm nervous because I'm like, why ain't nobody moving? Like, where's the vibe in here? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, where's the vibe at? So we we pull off and then we stop at the light and I see these people on my right. And in the intuition, like, yo, you got to hop up and say something. You got to wild out. Keep in mind, I'm a touring artist at this time. So I'm used to being an MC, a master of ceremonies. My intellectual mind is like, yo, you're going to get kicked off the bus. You better chill out. You know, you be bugging sometimes. My intuition was like, Nigga, you broke. You ain't gonna got. You ain't got one chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Yo, you better lose yourself. You know that song by Eminem. <laughs> yeah, facts. So that's in my head, and I'm like, fuck it. We gonna take a chance, right? Life is all about risk. So I'm like, yeah, I'm on a bus with Fifty Cent. So then somebody was like, yeah, right. I'm like, I'm serious. He's right here. Look at him. And the videos on YouTube, y'all can watch it. So sure enough, the people rush the bus, and Fifty stands up and he starts giving out energy drinks. Now, there's two marketing companies on this bus, actually three. It's the launch brand, it's 50s team, and then, uh, then, then the execution for the actual bus. So there's three marketing companies. So like everybody's rushing me with business cards because like who's this guy that has the balls to just do this on 50s bus? Right. They throw the shirt on me, they throw the hat on me. So now, and then they move me to the front of the bus. So now it's me and 50, and I'm not an MC for the whole thing. Then they invite me. They had a follow-up party that night. So I go to that party. I got stupid drunk. Angela Simmons is in the building, like mass stars in the building. Omarion's in there. I'm up, I'm up there bugging out with Omarion. He was cool as hell. Probably the coolest celebrities I ever met. We was just kicking it. You know what I mean? And then I followed up. And then they invited me to come out to Chicago to, to do an event. So I emceed that event. And after I MC that event, we went to dinner and, you know, fit, that's when 50 said I, was a, said I was a genius. And then the people was like, yo, you want a job? I'm like, hell yeah. So they was like, yo, come up with a marketing plan. So I came up with a marketing plan and I presented it. Now, keep in mind, before I had the marketing plan, I had got promo materials from them. I had hit Occupy Wall Street. So I hit Occupy Wall Street with a street team, just straight up all my little homies from around the way. So they was all dressed in the brand. I had got the brand in front of um, Russell Simmons because he was at Occupy Wall Street. So when I showed up with my presentation, I had pictures of Russell Simmons wearing their gear, holding their gear up. So they like, yo, he's already executing on the marketing plan. When they saw the marketing, yeah, when they saw the marketing plan, they were like, whoa, like this is just we need to like do this now. So I remember walking in the office at like eight, nine a.m. or whatever it was. And I didn't leave till like 10 that night. Yeah, they were and like during the Occupy Wall Street era, like you said. Yeah, you hitting the streets with everything. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was hitting Occupy like, Wall Street. 
Yeah, wow. with, the, with the energy drinks and everything, because it's Occupy, you know what I'm saying? Right. And people need to stay up all night. So I was hitting them with the energy drinks and, and, the, and the shirts or whatever. So, um, so yeah, so that day I walked in thinking I was going to do an interview and go home. Nah, I stayed there the whole day and I just was, you know, working with the company as a consultant for the next two years. And then I realized um, I could do more. So that's when I launched the uh, sports drink brand with Carmelo Anthony. We did a Dwayne Reed execution. And then I, I, I very quickly found out about this whole like iPhone thing and the iPhone app store. And I'm like, yo, like the future is in these apps. So I would bring it to like some of the people that was working with 50 and, you know, not G unit, but like the company I was working for, which was separate from 50. And, um, nah, not violator. Shout out to Chris Lighty. Chris Lighty is really the man that got me hired. He's the one that said, yo, put him on squad. Um, so RIP to Chris, Chris Lighty, I owe him my life. Um, but, um, yeah, so I was, you know, telling people I was having consultations and nobody got the mobile app space. So I started applying for jobs in a mobile app space because I had all this know-how. And then I remember I went and got this, uh, interview, and uh, with a mobile app company, it was called Inbox, and they were like a, a messaging app with a lot of cool features like doodling and whatnot. And uh, I didn't get the job, but I, I knew I didn't get a job because I didn't know what the hell the guy was asking me. He's asking me all these technical terms I had never heard of. So I came from a traditional marketing background, experiential marketing background and social media. I knew nothing about app store optimization and, and all the things that went into digital marketing. So I spent the next year studying like I've never in my life went to an interview and didn't get the job. So this was really rejecting from me. But again, like not saying, oh, I didn't get the job because I'm black with dreads and da, da, da. I was like, no, I didn't. I didn't know the answer to these questions. So I studied for the next year. And then I started getting a lot of gigs. I was working with like maybe two or three startups at the same time. One as an employee and one as a consultant and just really hustling to make make ends meet, you know, and making fairly good money. But I was spending a lot of time and I didn't like that. And, and not only was spending a lot of time and I wasn't getting no equity in these companies and they weren't listening. So it was like, which actually I should just tell this story now. Um, so I was working with this one gaming app company and I was, you know, marketing director. They, you know, I was making like, uh, I think we negotiated a salary of $70,000 a year and working out of New York. And, uh, I was head of growth and I was telling the dude like, yo, um, your Facebook pixels aren't connected. You know, we got to fix those. And they were like shoving me off and like, nah, just, you know, keep running the ad campaign. So we were spending 2,500, sometimes $25,000 a day on Facebook ads. And I would keep tracking the spreadsheet and the ROI was like negative 97. At one point, I'm 90, 99. I got it down to like negative 97. Some campaigns, negative 90. But still, that's a terrible ROI on these campaigns when you're spending so much money. So I'm asking these people like, yo, you know, we got to fix these Facebook pixels and they're ignoring me. So, I, you know, in corporate America, you got to put things in writing. So I put things in writing and uh, they ignored me again. So the final app version finally gets pushed out because they said, we'll just do it in the next app version. We'll push it out because I guess it was some big thing for them to push out a new version of the app. So they pushed it out. And then sales skyrocketed overnight. ROI was like 400% on the campaign. So I walk into work the next day thinking like I'm the man. So I walk in and they're like, yo, what happened? And I'm like, yo, y'all, y'all installed the Facebook pixels. So they're like, no, that can't be it. I'm like, what? I'm like, that's exactly why. Like, this is how this digital marketing thing works. Like, I've been studying. I've been doing this for years. Like, this is what happens. So I realized, like, all right, I can't be doing this no more. Because that's the second time it happened to me where I said something would happen. It happened. And they told me I was wrong, even though I was right. So I said, from now on, I'm going to just take equity in companies. So I started, started switching to is the equity mindset. You can keep your salary. I know how to make money. Keep your salary. I'll make money. And let's let's build a company because I realize people take you a lot more serious when you own a piece of the company as opposed to just being an employee. Right. The whole mindset switches because you're now their partner. So now I only work with co-founders. So the funny thing is one of the first companies I took equity in was CoinBitsApp.com. And that's the crypto company. Right. We sell Bitcoin. The job that I didn't get was run by that same dude, Maher. When he had. Yeah. When he had his app store optimization guy interview me. And I, I got dejected. Here we are years later that I end up working with him. But it, be, it, it was because of years of study and years of experience. So I sat down and had a talk with him. I knew those questions to the answers. And not only did I know him, I had published books on it right? And, right. And, and, and was an authority on this. You know, so then everything just, you know, kind of um, coalesced into this beautiful uh, 
tech uh, angel investing type deal. Okay. Before let's get into that. Before we do, uh, welcome to Solar TV eighty four, everybody. We got Whole Tap Jesus in the building. Shout out to Sydney Midtown. Uh, he says, "Now this is a duo fire. Massive respect to both of you, gentlemen, with the five dollar Australian bucks. We appreciate that. Uh, please hit the like button, y'all. We appreciate Whole Tap coming through. You know, um, he's, you know, you guys know him from the Starbucks uh, viral video to." 50 Cent to Joe Rogan, you know, that's what you know him for. But, you know, isn't it funny that you, you, you're known, and this is for anybody, right? You're known for your most sensational maybe moments, but what yeah. you really do, people seldom talk about. Does that bother you? It used to bother me, but then I'm like, you know what? If somebody really rocks with me, they're going to know what Solo TV 84 really does. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. That's the great mindset. For example, when I first pulled the Starbucks stunt, people said I should, you know, continue to do that across the nation and continue to pull these stunts in, in various different settings. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that because that will become my brand. And I don't want that to be my brand. I did the stunt. I made Fox news. I went viral. Vice picked it up. Everybody picked it up. So, you know, Alex Jones picked it up. So the job was done. I didn't need to brand myself anymore. Uh, as as that guy, you know, the mission was accomplished. And now it was just about, okay, I captured these, you know, 50,000 people that came in. It's like, now let me show them who I am. And then after the Joe Rogan interview, uh, somebody did uh, uh, a piece on Joe Rogan and they described me as uh, an intellectual. And I said, good. That's exactly how I want people to perceive me as an intellectual. Do not perceive me as a troll or performance artist, uh, you know, although I can do those things. <laughs> very well <laughs> and i can play those roles very well that's not exactly why i play those roles really well it's because i i um i take myself as an intellectual you know so and and, and so i i'm specific to brand myself and 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 people say oh you you know you're a marketing master da, da, da. and i'm like no technically i'm a branding master and and and, and branding is really what you want marketing is the product but branding is 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 the uh, reputation of that of that product, and that's yeah. really what I'm concerned with is the reputation and what I'm known for. Man, I got like I said, man, I got so many questions for you now. I might have to save them for the second mm -hmm. interview, though. We could do a part two. We could do a part two. You know, we're running short on on the questions, but uh, I mean on time. But um, let's talk about the meat and potatoes uh, of this topic is cryptocurrency. I was telling you my story in the back. You know, I, I used to have these open panels on my channel, right? And I still do from time to time. It's just that when you get too many niggas on, they, they start doing a lot of nigga shit. So, you know, I, I try to minimize that. You feel me? Yeah. So, um, but one brother in late 2016 kept talking about cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. And whole time, every time he talked about crypto, it was like, whoosh, it was going over my head. It's yeah. like, this dude was talking about coins, but it's not really coins, but it's, it's stored on the internet some type of digital wallet. I mean, it sounded like a, a B movie or something. It sounded really bad. Yeah. So, <laughs> and shout out to um, uh, that brother, man. Salute him. I forgot his name. Um, he doesn't YouTube much anymore. Uh, SPI Hybrid. Yeah, shout out to him. He's the one that I heard it from first. And so then twenty early 2017, you know, I, I have a group of friends. These are young, successful brothers. You know what I mean? One brother worked for IBM. Another brother worked for like an oil company and like these are brothers that I have a lot of respect for, um, especially when it comes to, you know, business uh, advice and, and investing and stuff like that, because I see how they grind. I see they hustle. And then one of the brothers was like, yo, Solo, you sleep and you got to get on this crypto or this Bitcoin. It's, it's making waves. And I'm like, wait, that's the thing that that dude was talking about on my channel. But it sounded like a scam. So, you know what I did? Old tap? I said, let me educate myself on this because I didn't understand it. So I sat down and this brother had a blog. Shout out to him, Ian Bellina. In the blog, he broke down what blockchain is, uh, how the white papers came to be with Bitcoin in 2009, all of that. Um, what what the, you know, the technology is, the, the value, right? All of this. And the way he broke it down was so simple. Even a guy like me with a low IQ could understand. You feel me? Like, mm -hmm. I couldn't get that. And so then I, I started to do more research on this. And I'm like, Yo, how come nobody's talking about this? And sure enough, anybody who's been watching me since 2017, 
the more I talked about crypto, I was showing brothers how to buy it. Then I moved, you know, I started on Coinbase like everybody else. Then I moved to, you know, Binance and QCon, all of that. But crypto kept rising and rising. Mm -hmm. Then it was in the news. Um, how did you hear about cryptocurrency and what made you decide, yo, this is this is the way, but this is something that I want to hop on or hop into? Yeah, that was one of my biggest life mistakes is I knew about Bitcoin when it first started. Like uh, yeah, like super early. Oh. I want to say, I want to say more, maybe 2012. Mm -hmm. I would say really 2012, 2013 was when I probably became hip to Bitcoin. So very early on. And um, early, people yeah. were telling me, people were telling me to get in. And I was like, man, the bankers are going to kill this. There's no way they're going to let this thing happen. And in some ways I was right because like Binance, you know, like I got a, uh, an uh, uh, email today from Binance that said I have to close my account because I'm in the U.S., right? <laughs> and it's because they left because of all the regulations. Uh, you know, you got to they didn't want to pay the fees that come along with licensing in this country. Um, but still, the price went up. Right. So I was wrong in the fact that I should have invested early because I'd be, you know, uh, shit, tens of millions of sitting in my bank account at this point, if not more, hundreds of millions, you know, whatever. Um, so I was ignorant in that sense. And uh, this part is okay, part not, of not to cut you off, but I have to real quick where you <clears throat> did you not jump on it because you didn't understand it? Because, you know, for lack of knowledge, my people perish. Right. That that was me. I didn't get it. Or did you mm. not jump on it? Because, um, uh, yeah, know, I didn't. I didn't. I I didn't jump into mining because I didn't understand mining and there wasn't a lot of information out there back then in mining. So I didn't jump into mining because I didn't understand it, but I didn't jump on this thing just because of pure skepticism. I, I understood what they were trying to do. I mean, I was following Alice Jones. So I knew there's a one world currency, digital currency coming. And I saw it as that too. Um, but I just was like, ah, you know, this thing is just a, you know, a fad and the, and the SEC is just going to knock this thing out. So why even bother? Right. Um, but yeah, that, you know, it wasn't because I didn't understand it. I mean, I compared to my understanding of blockchain and crypto now, I didn't understand it then. Like I understand a lot of this technology now uh, from being in the industry and hosting a ton of debates um, and studying a little bit. But um, so 20, 2017, I want to say was the big run up. So I, I got in and the way I got in was different. Like a lot of people were telling their friends to get in. It was I was more or less tweeting like. Like, yo, I'm in. If y'all not in, I don't know what's wrong with y'all, but I'm in the game, right? <laughs> and I'm just kind of like bragging about my experience with it. But I wasn't really out there like pushing any particular brands. And I was in a student phase. I mean, I was asking people like, hey, where can I track prices? What's the best wallet? You know, what's this? What's that? And I had, a, you know, maybe two or three people around me that was answering some questions for me. Um and I just, you know, plugged their brain. And then there was uh, Thanksgiving time. I remember I was chilling with the fam and my homie. He's like, yo, you heard about this Bitcoin thing? And I looked at him like, because he's not the type to be up on stuff. You know, I'm usually I'm up on stuff like a few years ahead of most people. So I saw him up on it. And I'm like, yeah, how'd you hear about it? He was like, yo, because um, you got to keep in mind, I had bought early in the year, early in 2017. And I was buying still. So I got in pretty early on the, on the boom, on the rise up. Um, so I made a nice, pretty piece of change. Um, but I was when I, he's like, Yo, I heard about it in, at the, at the barbershop. I was like, barbershop, man. That's when I went to Twitter and I was like, yo, I think I'm ready to sell. <laughs> People were like, no, it's still too early. It's going to go up. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, nah, I think it's the bubble. I think it's bubble time. Cause if the barbershop talking about, it, that means, you know, the average everyday consumers talk about it. That means this thing is over. So sure enough, the next year that thing crashed. And I was like, I'm glad I I sold uh, the bulk of my um, gains. And I, I pretty much just kept the principal in. Um, and uh, ever since then, I've just been investing with Coinbase app. OK, uh, but but you're still in the market, obviously, though, in crypto, right? What do you Even mean in, in the market? I mean, what, when I say in the market, you still buying crypto or no? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like yeah, Coinbits app, you just set it and forget it, right? You just say, hey, you know, take a hundred bucks out of my account a week and buy Bitcoin at whatever price it is at that time. And it just, you know, I just set it and forget it. And the money just comes out of my account and it they purchase Bitcoin. And okay. I, I, I got like my sats. I, I gotta check that out. Um definitely. And and, and here's the thing uh about this, right? Because I noticed when 
at first, initially, Hotep, I'm not going to lie. I was like, how come nobody's talking about it? And I got excited. Mm. Like, ask mm. anybody on my channel. Back then, I was like, you know when, like, somebody's got the plug? Like you said, you you, you figure out the wave before is really popping, right? And I, I, I was like, yo, this is like some, this is hot. This is hot. So I was telling everybody about it. And my, <laughs> I wouldn't do it now, but I was showing brothers how to buy it on Coinbase, man. Like, I could have exposed sensitive information. Like, I was, yeah. I was stupid then, right? Right. I, I guess... You know, Hotep, you you have been always one. And one thing I like about you is that you are very unapologetic when you, you speak about issues, even when people don't agree with you, right? And I know that that triggers certain people and whatnot. Um, when you look at cryptocurrency, and it's not just the black people thing. Can I speak on can I speak on real fast on why I I'm able to to stand ten tones down on what I say? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um because when I speak, it's because it's well thought out. I don't, some people uh, think and tweet, right? I don't think and tweet. I think and I think and I ponder and I ask questions and I research. So when I finally come to a thought that I want to share with the world, man, it's been, it's been through the ringer. You know, I really, I really gave it some thought. So when somebody uh, responds with something that's thoughtless, I'm like, man, get out of here, yo. You didn't even think about what I just said. I, it took me a year to formulate this thought. And you're going to tell me I'm wrong in 60 seconds. <laughs> right. And, and then not even and then not even support your argument. You know, it's, it's different when you have a counter argument, because, for example, you know, I was at one point I, I didn't understand anarchy. And, uh, you know, Chad Lemoyne was like, yo, you got to check out this anarchy thing. And I'm like, yo, I don't know. yo, That don't, that don't quite jive with me. I can't envision it. I don't think that makes sense. And then he started handing me material to read. So I looked into it and I'm like, yeah, this is it right here. This is where we need to be at. Right. <laughs> you know, but like I said, I didn't jump out the window and say, you know, to hell with anarchy. It's stupid. Right. I did. You got to do the investigations before you draw conclusions. My bad. So yeah, what was the question? Yeah, no, no. So, um, and that's, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the question is, why do you think so many people um, are dismissive when it comes to crypto or are not aware for that of exact it? reason for that for that exact reason? Right. They let that cognitive dissonance just own them. Right. Right. These preconceived notions, the, the place. See, people don't want to go to a new place. They want to stay where they are because it's comfortable there. But the unknown is very scary. The dark is very scary. With me, I'm like, what's the next? What's the next version of me? What's the next level? Right. Uh, like today, my homie saw the Lupe fiasco thing. He's like, damn, you killing it out here. You winning. And I'm like, yo, if you think this is winning, wait till you see what we about to do next. Right. So it's always about what's the next thing. Right. And, and how do we get higher and how do we expand our consciousness and our intellect? And people don't have that mindset. So when you present them with something new, no matter what it is, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get stupid, stupid out, you know, intelligence in stupid out because they never even, uh, you know, took a time to say, hey. OK, show me. Right. Back. When somebody like, for example, like socialism and communism. I'm like, yo, I'll debate anybody in this topic, but you can't find nobody that's a socialist or communist with prominence. That'll even take the conversation with me. We would. They won't. The leftists won't take conversation with me about Donald Trump. I'm willing to hear your side and let's walk down that path because I really want to understand what you people are thinking. And a lot of people just don't have that mindset. So when you present them with something new like crypto, you know, it's just like, oh, well, you know, I buy gold. And what if they turn the power off? And what if aliens come down? And it's like they just come up with every excuse not yes. to talk about, you know, which is the same mentality I had in the very beginning. Right. Which took me I had to grow out of that. Like my mentality was, ah, oh, the SEC is not going to allow it to happen. You know, and it's just like had I been like, you know what? This is kind of cool. Let me buy a couple. You know, what does it hurt to throw, you know, uh, 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 $500,000 in this thing? What does it hurt? You know, I'm going to spend it on weed anyway or something else, right? <laughs> so, you know, that mentality, that mentality is what's going to hurt a lot of people. What That mentality is going to have people missing out on the future. You know, like I remember um, the whole Trump thing. Like we was on top of the Trump thing in 2015. Like, yo, that's who I'm fucking with. You know what I mean? That's. That's the presidency I like. 
And then a lot of people came in at 2016, 2017, 2018, or 2020. And I'm like, yo, you mad late. Right? Like, <laughs> because people aren't aren't keeping their 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 finger on the pulse. And that's what that's what I like to do. I like to keep my finger on the pulse and know exactly, you know, I don't think about um I, I study history and I study the right now, but I study both of those to project my, my my mind into the future and say, well, if this happened and this is happening, what's going to happen? Right. And then I'm like, all right, this is going to happen. Let me see if it's happening right now. And I start Googling. You start seeing people preparing for this particular future, like AI and so forth. And right. You know, one of the things, and once again, Hotep, I'm so glad you bring this up because for me, really, when, when my boys, like I told you, right, these 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 young brothers that are smart, they're, they're now in their early, they're, what, 32, 33? They're okay. retired right now. Hotel. They don't work. Oh, right. And so, like I said, I, I respect those brothers because I know them before they retired. And so when they told me, yo, research this, I really had to open up my mind and say, okay, I got to read and, and study this the best way possible. And guess what? Thank God for YouTube. Because Hotel, these Negroes don't read. Let's keep it. Let's keep yeah. it up. They don't read. Most of them don't. Like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, you don't have to. But it would help. <laughs> yeah. I think there's like five pillars of teaching. It's it's uh, reading, listening, writing, watching, and then teaching. Right? Those are like the five pillars of learning. And so you, you kind of got to do all of them. You know, some people just read and don't listen to the lectures. I like to do all of them. You know, um, and some people just suck at reading. So for those people, I say make an attempt to get better, but don't put a huge emphasis on reading because we're in an age now where everything's available in audiobook and whatnot and so forth. But yeah. I like I, I'm a reader. I like to read. Yeah, and there's and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, I encourage reading because you know, yeah. I, even on my channel, I'll try to read more. But long story short, I really had to immerse myself, Hotep, and study this, right? And I and what I do then is, you know, I have what's called crypto Saturdays or Sundays, where once a month or twice a month I bring on a brother by the name of Lionel, and he's not um, a fundamentalist. So he's a uh, he comes from crypto from a technical aspect, meaning right. he reads the charts and graphs, and then he tries to predict where it goes. Where okay. fundamentalists in crypto, they tend to go off more of the big news and stuff mm. like that, right? Mm. So with that segueing into my question, um, what do you think is the biggest thing holding cryptocurrency back in regards to the masses using it? I always say it's the adoption process, meaning remember Joe the plumber, Joe the plumber at, at his home in Pennsylvania or Iowa being able to use crypto. Right. Because let's be honest, for the average person who first he hears about it, it may be complicated initially. But now you see, um, you know, PayPal is get, getting into it. Right. They're selling it now Heck, on your uh, cash app. You can buy it. It's easy now. Yeah. So my thing has always been from the beginning adoption for the regular person to be able to use it but so wrong. what do you think uh, the biggest issue is with crypto right now in your opinion so so uh like my mahers like maher says my partner over at coinbits he says the, the great thing about crypto is it's permissionless i don't need anybody's permission to to send money from point a to point b whereas if i was to go into the bank and or western union and say i'm going to send a million dollars to such and such they'll be asking me all these questions right and then they have the 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 opportunity to deny that transfer for whatever reason. Right. And then, so my, my point is, I think the biggest hurdle is uh, government communism, socialism, you know, for the benefit of the welfare of other people, we have to make sure that we uh, put laws in place to monitor these exchanges, to keep them in compliance. Uh, and really what they're afraid of is competition. Um, you know, if, if I don't need Western Union to send money from point A to point B, Western Union goes out of business. If I don't need the banks, uh, the banks go out of business. Right. So that's that's really what we're dealing with. They're scared of the competition. So they practice crony socialism and uh, the corporations get with the legislators and pass all these laws because, you know, let's for example, um, in order to allow people to have on the keys to their Bitcoin and you're an exchange, you got to pay like $30,000 or whatever, just, you know, and 
whatever region, like let's say for New York, um, don't quote me on these numbers, but it's really expensive to get your New York license to exchange Bitcoin. Why do I need a license to be an exchange, right? Um, so imagine if, you know, Tyrone from the hood was able to be a Bitcoin exchange. They don't want that. They don't want people to have that power to be a medium of exchange, right? Because if I can set up, the, if I can program the tech and set up the technology, I should be able to just launch my brand. And if people trust me as an exchange and I have a reputation of being a good exchange and I have my brand up, but the government's like, no, we have to look out for the welfare of people. And yes, there are opportunities where people can get got in the crypto space, right? Like we right. saw with preview, a whole bunch of companies were practicing a whole lot of bad things, you know? Um, but I think that's where you got to let the free market um, handle those things and and let the reputation of some of these exchanges work. But the great part is if people own, own, their, own their keys and they own their Bitcoin and it doesn't matter what this exchange does, right? Um, so, yeah, I think the biggest hurdle right now is government. Yeah, and, and I think also another thing is, um, I, I guess... People are just not that knowledgeable about it. <laughs> and, and, you know, and that that onus is going to be on you. You know what I mean? As an individual. And I always say that because the information has been out there now for a decade now, Hotep. So unless you, you're living under a rock or somewhere where you just don't have Internet. I mean, you should have heard about Bitcoin at least once by now in the last 10 years. Yeah, really? I, th- I think a lot of people heard about it. They have no idea, you know. Yeah what it's like or anything like that. Like I asked my mom, it's like, mom, my mom, you bought any Bitcoin? No. All right. I just, you know, it's just me testing the waters to see where we are in adoption. Right. You know? And, um, yeah, a lot of people just don't get it, man. They just don't yeah. get it. They, 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 they think it's uh, some conspiracy theory type thing or whatever, whatever, you know, they, the media does a good job of, smearing Bitcoin and they like to highlight all the bad things that happen with Bitcoin, you know, like, oh, this woman ran off with $2 million worth of people's uh, and this ICO ran off with this money, you know, and all they hear all those stories. And it's just right. like, because they're not educated on the topic, they don't understand how rare that is. Right. And, right. and, but the media blows that stuff up. So it's all about, it's all about um, educating people, which is what I love to do. Yeah. All right. I got one last question. Cause I know you got to leave. So real quick, um, big, Crypto Bitcoin has been blowing up. I mean, it was at 15,000 about two, three weeks ago. Now it's at 18,000. Let me check my uh, $18,321. I mean, I know that because I watch your show. On one of your predictions, you said it'll hit 25K by the end of the year, which we realistically can still do. Um, do you still stand by the 25k? Do you want to raise that? Do you want to lower um, it? Do you see crypto at the end of 2021? And by the way, I, we're not going to hold you to this prediction. We're just having fun, brother. I think this I said. I think I, <laughs> I think I. I think I said 30k. You, you said 30. Um, okay. It, it depends on what interview you you watched. Right? <laughs> one I probably said 25. Another one I probably said 30. Uh, I think the ceiling is probably 30 on this thing. I, it wouldn't be odd to see 25k. You know. Um, I, I would, uh, you know, 20 was pretty much the ceiling in uh, 2017, I want to say. Um, so, yeah, you know, um, I think 30K is a, a honest ceiling. Okay. And wh- where do you see it, uh, uh, Bitcoin in 2021? Uh, it'll probably crash to 10. 10? Yeah, it'll probably crash to 10 again in 15 or somewhere around there. I have to look at the chart to really give you a good number. Okay. Um, like I said, I don't speculate. I just always buy. I dollar cost average is the best way to get the best price on the thing. Right. You know, trying to predict the market, you're never going to get the best price as someone who dollar cost average. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think my prediction, if I'm not mistaken, would be that it'll go up to about twenty, and that was about early in the summer. Yeah, and I'm thinking buy it, and but I think next year we're going to go to fifty. Ah, <laughs> uh, I hope so. Next year we go into fifty, and then I'm gonna have my Columbia yacht party. We're gonna have some <laughs> Colombian chicks in the yacht. We're gonna be sipping on some some matais and Capri Suns. Yeah, oh, Tab Jesus, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you? It's gonna be lit. It's gonna be lit. <laughs> Word up. All right. Well, we got Hotel Jesus in the building, and man, appreciate you, brother. And um, let the people know where they can follow you, where they can find you, and and what you. Obviously, you got the Lupe net, uh, thing next. Can you talk about that real quick as well? What that yeah. is about? Yeah. Lupe, Lupe is taking the uh, 
He's taking the uh, pro-vaccine stance. I'll be taking the anti-vaccine stance, and we'll be uh, debating on uh, YouTube.com slash HotepJesus YouTube channel um, at 8 p.m. Wednesday night. That's going to be awesome. Um, You can find Hotep Jesus on Twitter, mostly. Uh, And uh, my website is BrianSharp.co. If you want to learn more about Hotep Nation, you got to go to HotepNation.com. Okay. That's what's up. Yeah. And I appreciate you, Hotep, for doing the show once again. You know, on Donovan's channel, saw you there. And then, of course, you were in the seven. And I'm part of the seven as well. So, or the six, now known as the six. So, Appreciate you jumping on, brother. We definitely got to bring you on again, cause, bro, I, I didn't even get to have my questions, man. Like, you know, we, but we'll, we, we'll, we'll, we'll do it for another time. We all. just, we could do a, uh, we could do a second one. Let's do, let's, yeah. let's uh, set up a second one. Now, nah, I mean, we definitely got to talk about that Joe Rogan, bro, because a lot of people are like, you was on one, man. And that Joe Rogan, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you just, like, you Joe Rogan's eyes was like, cause you just kept. It's like, it's like a battle rap. I don't know if you watch battle rap, but you was just punchlines back to back to back. You know, you set up bars, punchlines, and Joe Rogan was like, man, like, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I got I got I got real deep on the Joe Rogan interview. Let's 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 part two. Let's let's uh let's talk right. on part two about right, that. Yo. I'm about to I'm about to actually uh talk to Jehudi Ma'ara and train for my uh interview. Um okay. so uh I mean I train train for my debate. I'm talking to my teacher right now. We yeah. we actually I'm look actually looking at my teacher right now, Jehudi Ma'ara. So he's going to be um, tra- mentally training me for my debate with Lupe on Wednesday. So that's why I'm about to head out now. But we can set up a part two to the podcast, get this thing popping. We'll talk Joe Rogan and all of that and the, and, the, and the controversial things I said on that channel. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, thank you guys for watching. Please hit 